Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Hi guys, how are we good? We all, let's be honest, we lost an hour of sleep. This, there's probably some uh, nine o'clock people that normally go there that are in this service right now. God knows who you are. It's okay, Jesus loves you. Um, yeah, I don't like losing sleep, but I absolutely, I have to say this uh, every time I get to come back and be here, I do not take it lightly. It's an absolute honor and privilege to get to play the small role that I get to play in Hills Church. I pray for you guys daily. That is a true story. God is my witness. And so I have such a pastoral heart for this place. And there's really going to be a message today that's pastoral. And so I'm going to ask for uh, any, any little bit of trust I've earned with any of you. If you're visiting, I've earned no trust with you. Give me time. We'll see what happens. But if I've earned any trust with you guys, I'm just going to ask today that you guys would worship God by how we listen. Uh, Jesus, uh, in order to get into the series we're in, I should probably introduce that. We're going through the book of Genesis kind of loosely right now, not verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but we're going to a really monumental, foundational moment. It is a gospel moment that is buried in the ancient world in the Old Testament of Genesis. Over 2,000 years before Jesus would even do what he did on the cross, we're gonna see a moment where the cross of Jesus Christ is being amplified and the principles of the cross and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, he says this, and so I wanna do some New Testament work for just a minute uh, to do the best service we can to go into Genesis chapter 22. If you do have your Bibles and you wanna follow along, we will be getting, just bookmark it, we will be getting to Genesis chapter 22. But in uh, Matthew chapter 16 and a couple other places in the Gospels, Jesus uses this kind of language. Now I want us to remember he's our Lord, He's our savior, he's our king, he's our master, right? But he's also our rabbi. He's our teacher. And that's what he started out before everybody was ready to call him Lord and savior. They were just following him as a rabbi. And as he's sitting around with a bunch of his new disciples, he looks at them and says, he goes, hey guys. And so imagine him here today. Imagine him saying this to Hills Church right now. He says, Hills Church, listen to me. If anyone would come after me, a lot of your Bibles would say it this way. If anyone wants to be my disciple, And I think you're here today because you wanna be a disciple of Jesus. No matter where you're at on the spectrum of faith, even if you're a doubter or a skeptic, I think you're really ultimately here today because there's something in you that really wants to follow this amazing person named Jesus Christ. And he says, so, okay, if you wanna follow me, if you wanna come after me, just know this, at some point, you're gonna have to deny yourself right? A four-letter cuss word in the American culture as of late, right? Self, what, deny? Ah, Like, that word should already give you just a little bit of anxiety. You're like, where is he going with this today? Like, don't mess with my status quo right now. Don't mess with my comfort right now. But as Pastor Jonathan so eloquently said last week, man, comfort in the kingdom of God is overrated. Amen? You don't have to say that passionately. It's a hard truth. But comfort in the kingdom of God is overrated. Jesus says the kingdom of God's where it's at. The kingdom of God is where you're gonna flourish. The kingdom of God is where you're gonna find ultimate purpose and blessing. But here's one thing that's gonna have to be denied of you at multiple times in this thing called life. It's going to, you're going to have to deny yourself at times. 
You're going to have to, as a disciple, get a little uncomfortable. He goes on to use this language, foreshadowing what he would literally do. He said, sometimes as my disciple, you're going to have to just pick up your cross. Cross is the language of, of death. Now, today is not going to be a morbid talk at all, but we are going to talk about this idea of death. And to do that best, I told you guys probably the first time I ever came and preached here to, that I'm always going to either talk about in my messages, either sports or food at some point. It's just happening because those are my two biggest passions on planet Earth. I I love sports, but I am also a foodie. Do we got any foodies in the room? I mean, come on. So I want you to do this real quick. Let, let's wake ourselves up since we lost an hour. Look at your neighbor real fast or a couple of them and just tell them your favorite food on planet earth. What you got? You're stranded on an island. You got one food. What do you get? Don't be healthy right now. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm hearing some good chatter out there. I'll start with uh, some of my, my favorites right here. I'm starting with just good old fashioned chips and guac. Anybody know what I'm talking about? To our Mexican brothers and sisters, whenever uh, you guys open up restaurants, you do something that is just absolutely brilliant for foodies like myself. You give us meals before the meal. I can't tell you the last time I ate at a Mexican restaurant and by the time my entree came out, I was actually still hungry right? Now, of course, I finished the entree. That's just my duty as a man. But I just, it's the chips. You give me some chips and salsa and some good guac. You guys know what I'm talking about? Unbelievable. And we got some right here. I'm probably not going to try it right now because it's been out maybe overnight and we don't want to, I want to make it through the message. But I, I do want you to see the, uh, the chief ingredient that makes guacamole. It's not the only one as you can see here, but the chief ingredient that holds it all together is this beautiful thing right here. You guys uh, grow them, I think, pretty well here in California, um, called the avocado, right? Now, I want us to know something about what it takes for guacamole to be guacamole. Put this picture up on the uh, screens. See that right there? This is this avocado before it got killed. <laughs> it was hanging on a vine, right? with branches and with a tree and underneath the ground with that tree, as we all know, it was being uh, kept alive by a root system and by sunshine and by water and by God's good grace. But at some point, one of the California farmers cut those things off the tree, sold them to grocery stores. We bought them so that we could have guac. I would put it this way to use biblical language. For the joy set before my taste buds, this thing endured death, Right? Like for something beautiful as chips and guac to happen, even something as small and silly as chips and guac, death had to happen first, right? We're seeing this principle and it's all throughout the word of God. Second thing I got here is just, you may not love this, I have a sweet tooth and my uh, 11 year old, uh, had a birthday last week, and so I just had some birthday cake. I just love good old-fashioned birthday cake, and I don't like the nice, expensive kind. I like the on sale at five dollars, on on sale at Safeway for five dollars, leftover, just old. I I just like it, like like whatever this is right here. I'm gonna have some, give myself type two diabetes before the service is over. I'm kidding. If you have that, live diabetes. We're a faith church, okay. This right here, I thought that was good. You guys, dad jokes. Whatever, no, 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 too late. Don't pander now, too late. No, no. But again, staple ingredient that goes in with all the other ingredients to hold this beautiful thing here that gives so much joy to my heart and my taste buds to hold this thing together, right? Like, like you had to have these. Now, do we remember what these were originally intended for? Put that picture up on the screen. Yeah, right there. Look what we're willing to kill for our taste buds. 
That thing could have had a life, but instead it became cake, right? And we're comfortable with it for something so good as birthday cake, which just doesn't taste amazing, but it, represent, it represents something so beautiful. It's like another year, another, we, we celebrate around this. Well, we're celebrating little chicky had to die. Sit under the weight of that for a minute, Hills Church. All right, gentlemen, now it's getting real good. I'm, I'm going up the list here, right? Now this one's aged a bit, but just imagine butter on it. It's been, you know, just, just cooking for a long time. I like mine medium. I don't know where you're at. I can't go rare, but good on you if you do. If you cook it full done, you're weird, but that's okay. <laughs> not much better than, in my opinion, for a foodie, not much better than just a good, hearty steak, right? But you know where we're going with this. Put the picture up. Yeah, little boo-boo. <laughs> little boo-boo had to die for the joy set before our taste buds. For that amazing, some of you are gonna have steak uh, after church today, and I'm happy about it. Some of you aren't. Some of you are a part of PETA, and you're mad at me right now. Um, Jonathan, what's your email? Because I'm getting on a plane after I leave here. If you're a part of PETA, go for it. But I eat steak. All right, here we go. Save the best for last. This right here is just what I call a stick of glory meat right here. I haven't found many things on planet Earth that taste better than this right here. In fact, this is so good that comedian Jim Gaffin, he says this. He says, this is so good, we wrap this around this to make this better. Like that's how good bacon is, but let's do it one more time. Put the picture up. Uh-huh, you and I. Pigs aren't normally that cute, but I, I said, put the cutest picture of pigs we got up because I want us to sit under the weight of some death right now, right? Because in order for us to have any kind of thing that's really good, for some reason, something always seems to die. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 12. This is, this is pretty serious. He says, truly, truly. Now we'll stop there. In the Greek and Aramaic language, whenever someone would repeat, especially a teacher, when the teacher or rabbi like Jesus would repeat something twice, here, here's what he's saying in my language. He's saying, guys, disciples, Hills Church, if you hear nothing else, really hear this. This isn't just true. This is truly, truly, okay? He says, this is the ultimate truth. I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. We know from Genesis, we did Edenology earlier, it's not good that man should be what? Alone. It says at some point for relationships, this isn't just, this is Jesus, like he's literally prophesying his impending death on a cross right here, but buried under that literal prophecy is all kinds of teaching for us as disciples. This is a literal moment he's prophesying, but then in that prophecy, he's giving us layers of foundational truths about what it's like to be a disciple. And he says, unless something dies before it can truly live, it will remain alone. In other words, life, relationships, experiences that you have on this side of the grave will never be what God really wants them. You will never fully embrace life and life to the fullest that Jesus paid the ultimate price for unless you have these key moments in life where you're willing to let some things die. You're willing to pick up your cross, right? It says, unless that green wheat falls and dies, it remains alone. But he says this, listen to this, this is good news. If it dies... It bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. There's irony in the kingdom of God. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for an eternal life. Everything in the kingdom of God works on this thing called seed time and harvest time. 
You see it in the old covenant. You see the imagery and the metaphor all throughout the new covenant. And we know that literal, the original food brought for all these processed foods came into play in modern times. The original food and sustenance that God gave for us all starts with what? It starts with seeds, just like the wheat. Jesus used that as an example. I happen to use sunflower seeds because I might need to carbo load during this message, depending on how long I preach and I love them. And it just looks a little more beautiful. I got a sunflower seed here and then I got the ultimate manifestation, right? Of what something, so this, isn't this unimpressive? Isn't this small? Doesn't this seem insignificant? And as soon as this thing gets buried in the ground, just like any other kind of seed, you know what happens? The outer shell that all seeds have, they start to die. And buried under the outer shells of all seeds are embryos. And as soon as that outer shell dies because the soil starts to suffocate it and kill it off, all of a sudden, once the embryo's there, it's ready to receive in the soil all the water, all the miracles from God, all the provision from God, all the sunshine, all of the things it needs to do to eventually become this. But the entry point to this is death. Now, again, I'm not talking, this isn't morbid, I'm not talking about literal death. Jesus paid the ultimate price once and for all. God doesn't like death, God doesn't author death. God hates death so much that he was willing to come and give his one and only son to die for us in our place so that the sting of death, the, 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 the eternal consequence of death could be conquered, right? He, he wanted to say, listen, death is no longer gonna be the indictment it used to be, it's now gonna be a commencement. It used to be an indictment because of sin, but now because of the grace of Jesus, when you are in Jesus Christ, as hard as death is in the moment, it is still a commencement to something beautiful, to something eternal. The book of Revelation says that someday, when you pass over from life into death, someday there will be no more death. On the other side of that grave, if you're in Christ Jesus, there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. I can't wait for that day, right? But on this side of eternity, Jesus said, there's gonna be these key moments where you deny yourself and it's gonna feel like a death. When this seed gets buried in the soil, it's vulnerable because it gets put under there for however long it takes to finally germinate and, and something to, to sprout. It needs all kinds of things while it's unseen and buried. It needs all kinds of things miraculously from God to eventually sprout up and to not only serve a beautiful purpose, but seeds always produce a harvest of what? Exponentially more seeds, right? You look at the apple. You eat an apple, right? And buried in the middle of that apple is not one more seed, but tons more seeds, there's something exponentially beautiful when we embrace in our lives the process of death. And when I'm talking about seeds and death, I'm using this kind of language because we'll see this, we'll see this played out in Genesis 22 in one of the most graphic ways we could ever see it. When I'm talking about seeds and talking about death language, here's what I'm really talking about. I'm talking about obedience. Remember, just good old-fashioned obedience. Sometimes that's self-denial. Obedience, when God gives you something that he's asking you to step out in faith and do or to stop doing, any kind of obedience, can I just, can I just tell you what you probably already know? It always is gonna feel like a death on the front end. It's the opposite of our flesh. It's the opposite of sin. The Bible says in the Old Testament that sin is the opposite. It says this, sin is fun for a season. When the seeds of sin get put in the ground, it's beautiful, it's fun, it's exciting, it's exhilarating. I love that the Bible doesn't lie to us about that. It says sin's actually gonna feel really good on the front end, but then it says this, but in the end it leads to death. 
And in the kingdom of God, it's like, no, no, no. Obedience on the front end is going to feel like death, but it always leads to life. So you got really kind of two choices. You can, you can play now and pay later, or you can pay now and then you can play later. But in the kingdom of God, life, I came in life to the fullest. If you really want to maximize this time before we go and we breathe our last, which all of us will do at some point, you really want God's best for you. There's going to be key seasons. In fact, some of you walked in here right now and you are in one of these. I'm so glad you came to church today. I'm here to encourage you. You're in one of those key seasons right now where you're in this wrestling match almost with God. You're feeling this tension with God because he's asking you to maybe lay something really significant on the altar of your life for his glory and for something eventually better for you. And he's asking you if you could just be patient and if you could just trust me, you're, you're God. If you can just trust that I'm for you, that I have beautiful things for you because listen, when you first obey, I gotta tell you the truth, it almost always feels like death. It's vulnerable. That obedience always has a time period where it's hidden. You understand that just like seeds? When you, when you, rarely have I ever obeyed and immediately saw the fruit from it. Every now and then that happens, but that's the exception, not the rule. Make no mistake about it. Almost every time you, in your worship towards God, give him some more of your obedience, there's almost always this season. Of, and this is why so many people, I've done this too many times, so many people pull the ripcord on a beautiful act of worship to God when you're obeying him four days later because you haven't seen results yet right? It's like going to the gym and you've got all these New Year's goals and then you quit after a week because you don't have abs after six, six days, right? And you're just like, where's it at? I started trying and where's all the blood? Like it takes time. So if you have, your, uh, if you have the word of God, go to Genesis chapter 22. Uh, we're going to go to one of the most graphic moments of obedience and it's graphic, especially if you're a parent or future parents, I want you to sit on the weight of this. This is a classic story. I'll spoiler alert it because most of you have heard this story probably more than once, but this is where God, because we're looking at Abraham for a couple of weeks, this is where God, after giving Abraham the single greatest gift you could probably give a human. You guys remember Pastor Jonathan talked about it last week. If you missed, let me uh, review. Abraham and his wife Sarah for nine decades were barren. All they wanted was a kid. Some of you in here, like, like, let's just pause and have a moment to honor you. Some of you, that's your story. And this isn't the message today, but you deserve to just stop. If you're in here right now, and that barrenness is part of your guys' story as a husband and wife, and you just desperately wanna have children, and right now, it hasn't been able to be happening, I, again, I'm stopping the message to just look at you and say, I'm so sorry. Don't stop believing. I know that's hard. Do not stop believing. We're for you. We're with you. We're believing with you. We're praying for you. But this is Abraham and this is Sarah. Now I think about it. When Abraham finally found word that God was gonna give him a kid, he was 99 years old when she got pregnant. She was 90 years old. Guys, that sounds awful. It sounds exhausting. I'm 49 with four kids and barely hanging on. I don't know how they do it. Like imagine going to Costco to get a stroller and a walker. Like that's their story. Yes, another dad joke. Thank you, I'll be here all week. <laughs> Think about that though. It's crazy, in fact, like Jonathan said last week, they literally would go on to name their son Isaac and in the Hebrew, Isaac simply means he laughs because all they could do when God had said, hey, I'm gonna fulfill a promise 
for you if you'll just trust me. And you'll, you'll exercise during this germination season while, while she's pregnant. If you'll exercise some radical obedience in these next nine months, I am not only gonna give you a gift in this child, this child is going to be uh, uh, the catalyst for a harvest that is going to be billions of people thousands of years later through your bloodline, Abraham, through your precious son, Abraham, I am going to make nations great. If there's ever any greatness, we're gonna read it. If there's ever any greatness, greatness from any country on planet earth at any time period. He says, it's going to be a blessing that came through our father Abraham. So this isn't just a nice little miracle God does for a couple. This is, this is, has major implications on the God story. He gives them a promise. It's through Isaac, right? So, so we have that promise, but then the promise gets disrupted as we pick up in Genesis 22. Listen to this. Sometime later, They've had Isaac, theologians believe Isaac was somewhere between 10 to 16 when this is taking place. So it's, it's a lot of time later. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now I just gotta stop there for a quick second just uh, so, so we remind ourselves of this. God is omniscient, right? We interpret the Bible any verse in the Bible, we interpret by using the whole rest of the Bible. So when it says God tested Abraham, you're going, really, does God, God kind of toy with people like that? No, 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 listen to this. When God tests us, whatever that looks like, it's never because he needs to know what you're made of. God's omniscient. God's omnipresent, right? God, God's, God's all-knowing. He never tests us so he can know what we're made of. He always, if he tests us, it's to show us what we're made of, to remind us what we're made of, to show us what we're capable of when faith is the major part and obedience of our story. So sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, Abraham said, here I am, he replied. Then God said, now listen to this. This is New Testament language. This is so beautiful. Take your son, think of this, think of a verse in the New Testament that this sounds like. Take your son, your one and only son, whom you love. It's like God's rubbing it in because he's about to, again, spoiler alert, he's about to say, I want you to take him up on a mountain and sacrifice him. I want you to kill him. Death. It says, take your, your son, your one and only son, whom you love, Isaac. Remember, remember John three sixteen. for God so loved who? Us, the world, that he what? Gave his one and only son, whom God dearly loved and was pleased with. We're seeing this foreshadowed. Everything in the Old Testament, no matter what we're reading about, this is why we still preach from the Old Testament, everything ultimately in the story of the Old Covenant is just foreshadowing and pointing us to Christ. It's getting us prepared and ready for Christ. And we're already hearing John three sixteen language in this. He says, now go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Can you imagine what would have been going through Abraham's head? God, no disrespect, you have been good to me. We have this new relationship. I used to serve thousands of gods before I met Yahweh, before Yahweh spoke to me, the, who I now believe is the one true God. Why, doesn't this feel like the ultimate bait and switch? Doesn't this feel cruel? We can be honest in church. We can sit in the tension of this text, this narrative. It feels cruel. We fought in faith, we fought barrenness. For nine decades, you give us this, this ultimate joy and this gift in our last years of life, and then you're this quickly gonna take him from us after you promised that it would be our kid that would be the seed that would get a whole nation of Israel started, and now you're just baiting and switching us, now you're just, you're, you're just like all the rest of the gods. 
Now you're gonna ask me to take him up on a mountain and sacrifice him and kill him? Because that's what Abraham grew up in before he met Yahweh. They served thousands of gods and you know what they did? This isn't quite as crazy for Abraham to hear this from God as it would be for us in modern times because everyone in the ancient world back then was sacrificing children to gods. They had fertility gods. When they, when they needed a better harvest of children to continue to grow their tribe, guess what they did? Would sacrifice a few children. I know that's hard to imagine, but that was common practice for them. When they needed uh, rain, when they were in a drought and they needed some crops to come forth, they would have another God that they would what? Sacrifice children to for the sake of hoping that would trigger that God to give them some rain. And so Abraham's now probably starting to see, you're just like the rest of the gods. Just toying with us, making us kill our own image bearers so that we can try and get some rain, just so we can live, and now you're asking me to take the most precious gift I've ever been given and walk up a mountain and kill him? Abraham would have had so many questions, but you know what the very next verse says? Early the next morning, (laughs) Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. And let me stop right there and and just give you a principle of, of obedience, and it's simply this. Obedience requires a go before you know spirit. This is one of the hardest things. This is one of the parts of death that comes in the seed of obedience is that God is always going to ask you to do something without all the details. You understand that? I don't know why. I don't know how God chose to do it that way, but that's how God chose to do it. This is why the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Some of you right now, and maybe you're you're type A in here, and don't apologize for that. God gives everybody a personality the way He wants them to have it. If you're type A in here and you're very detail-oriented, this should give you anxiety, not knowing every step of the plan before you make a decision to do it. You're actually trying to be a good steward. But can I I just tell us all, really, and not just the type A's, is, is when you obey God, you have to have a go before you know spirit. God's just going to just sometimes ask and put on your heart some things that need to take place in your life that are gonna come on the front end at great cost to you, and there's just gonna be moments where God says, do you trust me? Will you just do this? And as you do this, I'll roll everything out along the way. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants, and this is the rub right here, his son Isaac, most precious gift he'd ever been given in this world. I uh, woke my 17-year-old son up yesterday and said, you're going with me to California. He's like, what? He's 17, so he's sleepy. He's like, what? Okay, we're going. Okay, I got to pack a bag. You're going with me. Jude, will you come up here for a minute? Will you guys give a hand for Jude? He's 17, so I'm going to pay for this. Literally. Every time I talk about my kids from stage, I have to pay them, usually in Legos. Um, he's 17 now, but we still do Legos, me and him. We, love, we, we just decided Legos for life. We love them. You can have your own opinion. We love them. Um, I brought my son up here. I wasn't planning on this. It's not why I brought him, but this, this morning at the nine, I brought him up here too because as I bring Isaac into this story, this really tense story, I don't want us to think this is some kind of sweet little Sunday school felt board narrative or like it never happened or like this story isn't make-believe. And parents, I want you to superimpose your kids into this story right now, but I wanted to sit under the weight of the reality of, of what radical obedience looks like. So come up here with me, Jude, right here. Let's read 
Early the next morning, he got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him. He just keeps obeying. Doesn't know anything, doesn't know how this is gonna work out. Million questions, he just keeps going. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. I can imagine his father heart starting to get really emotional at this point, can't you? He's going, oh shoot, it's day three. We're real close to Mount Moriah now. I can, I, can actually, I can actually see where me and my son are gonna walk up on that mountain. So he stopped and he said to his servants, hey, stay here with the donkey while I and my boy go over there. Now listen to this. Talk about Abraham, the father of our faith. You wanna see faith on beautiful display right here? Because he makes a statement of faith that he has no answers for, he can't prove it. He says this, we will worship, and then what's he say? Then we will come back. So he said, we'll worship, and then Isaac and I are coming back. I don't know how that's gonna happen, but I know God gave me a promise. I know he told me that through this son Isaac, I would have descendants as far as the seashores. Much as you can see sand, you'll see descendants. As much as you can see stars in the sky, that's how many descendants I'm gonna have. So I don't know how we're coming back, but I know this, we're coming back because Yahweh gave us a promise and God is not man that he should ever lie. And I wrote in my notes here too, radical obedience is found in knowing God's character, Hills Church, not all the details. This is why as disciples, the greatest thing we can do. This is why when over 100 men on Wednesday nights come to read the book of Romans together with Pastor Jonathan, do you know how significant that is? In fact, I don't know when you'll get there in your study, but at some point in Romans 10, it says faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. We've been given 7,000 some promises in God's written divinely inspired word. Abraham only had about two promises to go on and look how radical his obedience. We've got 7,000 and thousands of years of historical proof of how good God actually, how in control and sovereignly beautiful and good God actually is when we trust him. Radical obedience is found in knowing God's character, not knowing all the details. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. This is why we keep gathering. This is why we keep showing up. This is why we let some human like me or anyone else get up here and preach to you the word of God. It is to reinstill in us uh, for six more days till we walk back in, reinstill in us faith so that we can go out there. And when things get difficult this week, God's character is gonna be a louder voice than your circumstances. You deserve that. God wants that for you. Abraham trusted in his character. It went on to say, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. Listen, this is more gospel language placed it on his son Isaac's back. Could you imagine that? Remember, remember, remember God's son, his one and only son, putting a, some wood to be sacrificed on on his back and starting to walk up a mountain? Look how beautiful the Bible is. Look how it's just seamlessly and so beautifully just keeps pointing to Jesus. Thousands, a couple thousand years before he would even do that, we're seeing a picture of it. So he, uh, he placed uh, the wood on his son Isaac and then he himself, it said, carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, this part is what starts as a father to like get into my heart, get into my feels. He says, yes, my son. 
Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. Listen to the innocence in this kid. The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Imagine Abraham, the father in that minute, having to go, whoo, how do I tell him this one? Abraham answered, more faith here. Listen to this. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Again, Abraham's going, I don't know many details, but I know God's character. I don't know where that sacrificial lamb's coming from, but God's gonna provide it. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar. I just wrote in my notes, an altar is a place where precious things go to die. He built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it and then listen to this, it's getting real. He bound his son. Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He's at this point of obedience. And then in my translation, at the 11th hour and the 59th minute, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Listen to this, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your one and only son. Now I know that he says something interesting. Now I know that you fear God. This plan's gonna be beautiful. I've got what I needed from you, which was just radical obedience. You didn't know all the details. You didn't know everything. You just relentlessly continued to trust my character when nothing made sense on paper. When I asked you to do one of the most intellectually offensive things you could ever ask of a father, which is to sacrifice your own son, you literally got to the point of a knife right here. It's never what I want. He said, now I know you fear the Lord. The King Solomon would say this in Proverbs chapter nine, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Like, like some of you right now, you're, you're in a tough season. You're praying for wisdom. I know I'm in a season where I'm always just praying, God, I need wisdom. God, I need answers. God, I need direction. And here's what the entry point of wisdom. Here's what God's answer, no matter what it is specifically to you, here's what God's answer will always look like. I need you to understand this. He will give you something to obey. More than details, more than specifics, when you start praying for wisdom, here's what you are ironically and actually praying for without knowing it, obedience. Because the way God gives wisdom is when the fear of the Lord in your life, if you're new to church, that has nothing to do with being just so scared of God that you can't look. No, it's this reverence and awe for his character and his nature. It's this deep-seated trust that he is true. He is the one true God. He is the king. He is the eternal. He's the giver of life. He's the author of life. He's the foundation of everything that is good and that is holy. When you start to truly believe that with your actions, you're walking in the fear of the Lord. And the beautiful thing about the fear of the Lord is you start to obey before you know everything. You go before you know, and then guess what happens? Here's where wisdom comes in. You start to look back on those altars, those key places where you made hard decisions to obey God. You start looking back in retrospect on those altars, and there is so much wisdom you take from that. There is so much you learn from that really hard, vulnerable season where you were willing to obey and be like a seed vulnerably dropped into the soil of the unknown trusting that God had something so beautiful on the backside of that obedience. Goes on to say, Abraham looked up. How, how am I doing? I'll get this out of here, I promise. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. Do you remember someone else who crown of thorns thicket put around their head? 
as they were about to be the substitutionary atonement for all of us. And now here's this ram foreshadowing what substitutionary atonement would look like. And it's caught in the thicket. It's got the, the thorns going. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his what? Son. So Abraham, I love this. This is prophetic for some of you in here today. So Abraham called that place this, the Lord will provide. Or in the Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And here's why I say this is prophetic. Some of you I'm asking today to just listen to the voice of God and make today a line in the sand where you make a really tough decision about something that has to do with obedience. Today's the day where you're going, I'm, I'm scared of this process. You don't have to be dishonest about that. God already knows it's terrifying sometimes. Abraham would have felt all the fills. God understands that you feel all the fills. God is with you in all of those fills. He's not asking you to robotically just start obeying him. Fill all the fills, wrestle with God. All of that is great, but he's saying, listen, if you can just trust me with this process, if you can just trust me with your most precious, nothing on planet earth is more precious than my son, Jude. You guys understand that? Nothing. Like nothing. This kid is the apple of my eye, literally. The best gift God's ever given me is my four children. And the best thing I can ever do for my son Jude is be a man who tries real hard to obey God. You understand that? Like, I just wanna, the best thing I can ever do for my son. I hope we keep buying a lot of Legos and putting them together. I hope we do a whole bunch of stupid and fun stuff together. I hope we make a whole bunch of really fun memories. I hope there's some cool vacations in the future. I can't wait for you to make me a grandpa. Not soon, but like, I can't wait for it. For real, you're 17. Keep it clean, bro. Name of Jesus. <laughs> Name of Jesus. I would love to give my son a bigger house than we have me and him share a car. I'd love if he could have his own car right now, but right now, me and him share a car, and it's great. I wish I could give him all of those cool things. That would be so nice, but do you understand what I can totally give my son right now that is priceless compared to any of those things? I can be a dad who's fighting hard to practice what I preach, and for him to see, hey, him and his mother at some key times in their life paid a huge price to stay obedient to God. And I, I'm getting some of it right and I'm getting it some of it wrong, but I want you to see that there is no better way to live than these key moments. And you're 17 now, you're gonna start having some of these key moments where God's gonna be like, I, I, could you be a little different than the rest? And you may be, it may be lonely at times, you may feel vulnerable, it may feel like maybe even sometimes your social life's buried in the soil when everyone else seems to be flourishing. But if you can make obedience your top priority, son, then I'm going to bring something over time you're playing the long game here that is going to be so right and so beautiful and it's gonna meet you with so much peace and so much joy. And I know I'm preaching to my son right now, but can, can, can you hear God preaching to you right now? Because you're sons and daughters of the king. This is, this is what God has for us. 
The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your one and only son, I will surely bless you. Here it's coming. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Why? because you have obeyed me. We didn't come to preach to make you feel bad about what you're not doing right. I didn't come here to make you feel condemnation or guilt. That's not my thing. That's not God's thing. But you know what I came here to do is say, what if today we all, while we're together and accountable together as the body of Christ, what if we made some really big decisions as we take communion? Pastor Lindsay's gonna come up and lead us through that right now. As we take communion and we remember Jesus, what if today our central focus of our remembrance was his self-denial? There's, there's a thousand things in communion you can remember because of how great Jesus is. But what if today in communion we said, you know what? Jesus gave us the ultimate expression of self-denial. What's a smaller expression that I, as one of his disciples, what's a small expression of denial that I could give right now, that I've been fighting and wrestling with and holding on to because I'm scared or whatever the reason is, what, what's one thing that I could say, you know what, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go underground for a minute, I'm gonna deny or I'm gonna, I'm gonna let go of something and I'm gonna, I'm gonna let something die for a minute and I'm gonna trust the vulnerability and I'm gonna trust that for a while I probably won't see any immediate results or any immediate fruit from heaven, but I'm gonna trust that it's a huge part to the pathway of God's blessing and fullness on my life. We can't forget that's the heart of Jesus. I came that you would have life and life to the fullest, but death always precedes something beautiful. You cannot have resurrection. The cornerstone of our faith, you cannot have resurrection without death preceding it. And I say this from a pastor's heart, I want the best for you. That's it. So I'm gonna pray a prayer blessing and then we're gonna take communion. And before we walk out of these doors for just a couple minutes, we're gonna think about, hey, what do I need to lay on the altar before I walk out of these doors? So Jesus, may you bless us, may you keep us, may you cause your face to shine upon us. May you be radically gracious to every person in this room and may we go forth today with the peace that passes understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.